0: Hello, this is the Vanguard Court Watch podcast. I'm your host, David Greenwald. Right now, Vanguard Court Watch operates in three counties in California, including San Francisco and Sacramento. Our goal is to shine a light on ordinary injustice in the court system. This podcast is hoping to go a step further and shine a spotlight on criminal justice reforms on a national level. Today, we have a story of redemption. So many people get caught up in the criminal justice system and never escape. Alfred Melbourne was a young man when he found himself involved with the criminal justice system. He fully admits he made bad choices. He ended up in juvenile hall at the age of 12 and returned at ages 14 and 16. Then it was a few years later at the age of 19 that he said, I found myself on a bus ride to prison for many of us. It wasn't if we were going to prison, it was when. The next thing I know, I was turning 37 and I was told I was going home. My world had changed. I was no longer a young man ready to take on the world. I was an adult trying to find my place in a society that had moved on without me, he said. He called that, doing that time, devastating. Out of prison a few years ago, he decided to give back to the community, and in the process, he found himself. He founded Three Sisters Garden. It's a nonprofit whose mission is to teach at-risk youth how to grow, harvest, and distribute organic vegetables and engage the community to get involved in supporting at-risk youth in Yolo County. Welcome to the podcast, Alfred Melbourne.
1: Uh, Thank you, David. Thank you for having me.
0: Great. So uh, maybe you can share with us a little bit about your background and how it was that you ended up in prison.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, as you said, you know, uh, it it all started at a young age. I was a a kid kind of just running around the neighborhood, um, not really having much guidance, kind of just getting into little scrapes here and there. And um, just had a lot of time on my hands, you know, and mom was really busy. Uh, trying to raise five of us at the time. So just uh, kind of was like a slow progression, kind of messing around in the neighborhood, uh, maybe some vandalism, some petty theft, and then just kind of a, a slow progression on up as kind of I got older and things got a little bit more serious. Uh, dealing with some, you uh, know, I mean, folks that uh, were probably not the best influences at the time for such a young kid. But like I said, it was just a slow progression, just getting involved in little things, and then uh, eventually I ended up going to prison.
0: And what was ultimately the crime that you did when you were 19 that put you away?
1: Yeah, well, when I was 19 years old, um, just being a kind of what was a tough neighborhood at the time, um, got involved with... Uh, Dealing with some guns and stuff like that, so I committed a, a crime where I ended up shooting up a, a neighborhood, basically. And
0: where was that?
1: Uh, it was right here in, in West Sacramento.
0: Oh wow! So, you, so you actually went from Yolo County in, into the prison system?
1: Yeah, I've, I've never really been nowhere else. I mean, this is kind of where I grew up at, right here in Broderick. Um Just you know, it's kind of a tough neighborhood at the time, and trying to, you know, I mean, detest you know, and put on that face.
0: And and how did you, what were you thinking when you, when you did all this, or, or were you?
1: Yeah, well, you know, I mean, I was completely sold on the idea that, you know, I mean, being hard was the thing to do, to, uh, you mean, know, tuck your chest out and, and you know, hold your head up high and just kind of detest, you know. It was just really sold them that idea that that was the way to go.
0: And what was prison like for you? Oh, wow. Um, well, so I showed up when I was 19 years old, and uh, it was
1: totally a whole completely different a change in scenery and of world unlike anything I'd ever experienced. Um, it was huge. It was like a small world in there with so many different moving parts and uh, potential uh, landmines getting familiar with... Uh, A bunch of other criminals, really, Um, just had a real kind of difficult transition being so young. And uh, Fortunately, there are uh, some really good individuals in there that took me under the wing and started showing me the ropes and uh, letting me know what I needed to do and not to do to basically survive.
0: Now, when you went in there, uh, did you know that you were going to be in there for somewhere around 18 years or so?
1: Yeah, I knew that I had a long time to do. It was just uh, kind of yeah, I had a long time to do, it, it, and it was very, it was real scary, you know, looking, I mean, inside the a small cell, staring at four walls all day, and uh, knowing that I had a long road ahead of me. It was just a uh, really um, some soul searching and, and a lot of thinking.
0: And. When you're in that position, are are you thinking, okay, um, you know, living day to day, are you looking ahead to when you get released, or are you doing both, or what? Um, well,
1: honestly, at the time, I didn't really see, you know I mean, getting out. It wasn't really like something that you think about, because if you think about stuff like that, the time becomes really harder, so that when you're there, you're there. You're living in the moment. You're. Talking to folks that have already been there for twenty five, thirty years, and some that have at least twenty five, thirty years to go, um, and some with no end in sight. So it's not like you just sit there thinking I'm going home in eighteen years. No, you're you're living in there. You're a part of a world that that you can't get away from. I mean, of course, that that's the concept. You know, being being punished and having to do so much time like that. But yeah, it was uh It was really. Uh, eye-opening it was it was it was scary at such a young age but like I said just fortunately there was some good folks there that meant well and helped me along my way
0: and and physically I mean um you say you're in four walls uh how big was your cell uh was it uh just you in there or did you have other uh cellmates in there
1: oh yeah it's it's, it's unusual for you to be uh cell up by yourself so you're always going to have a cellmate unless you're in segregation. Um, Mm -hmm. Even then though, you'll you'll get a cellmate after a certain amount of time. So uh, reception center, you show up, they ask you uh, who you are, who you classify as, who you're running with. And then from that day forward, that's who you're going to be labeled as. So for myself, um, of course, I'm a native American. So I, I chose to, to program with the native Americans, my my people, and uh, they filled me up with the native American and, you know just uh it's just too it, it could be two young folks it could be uh, uh older and a younger guy everybody is fairly new to the system when you show up to reception center but um yeah we had, I had a sally pretty much the whole time
0: and did you end up getting along with those folks or were you fighting for your survival or a little bit of both
1: ah uh, yeah that's a it's just you know I mean when you're when you're living in a world full of uh um, other criminals that are like-minded, you know, trying to prove something, always, uh, walking around with a chip on their shoulder, you know, it's going to be difficult being such a young man and, and, you know, walking around like I had something to prove. Um, I would say that I made things pretty difficult on myself as well as others, just trying to, uh, to work out my mind, my body to be strong. Um, yeah, I got into a lot of different things. At certain points in time, I looked at it as if, as if I was never going to be going home. So being that I had to be there, um, I fully lived in the moment and, and was sold on the idea of um, just being in prison the rest of my life.
0: And was there like a worst uh, moment that you had while you were in prison?
1: Uh, it was a lot of worst moments. You know, and It just seems like in some some of them just kept on repeating themselves over and over, you know, when, so my, my mom and my family, I mean, we never really had a, a, like we're not wealthy by any type, any stretch of the imagination or word. And so being so far away from my mom and her not being able to come see me at times, knowing that my mom was getting older and that there was nothing that I can do for her uh, receiving letters, whether I was on the main line or in segregation for something I might have done or not done. Um, and just kind of having to see all my, my, my brothers and sisters and everybody grow up without me. Um, that was kind of like a worst moment over and over again. And you would think that, you know, a person really looks forward to receiving letters from the outside because they're uplifting and, you know, you hear what everyone's doing. But for a lot of folks, it's really depressing because, you're sitting there watching you know everybody's life go on and um being a part of the ups and the downs and the ups are all great and everything because you guys are all happy and they're 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 good for you but when the downs start coming around and people start um passing away and there's nothing that you can do and you know that you'll never see these people ever again you know that's the real low point of of doing time
0: at some point are you Feeling guilty for what you did, or you feel sorry sorry that you did it, or I mean, what's your mindset like? Um,
1: yeah, you know, being young like that, you know, you're really hard headed. So there were some points that, like, I really just didn't give give a heck about much of anything. Like I said, I was just living in the moment, And, and there's some faces that you just can't take off because, you know, you don't want to show any type of weaknesses. So. But I mean, of course, as I got older and started thinking about things more and and watching all the things kind of happen around me, yeah, I I started to have some regrets and felt guilty about, you know, not being there for my little sister, not being there for my little brother um, and and being able to be there for my mom, of course, you know, who's been, she was always and still to this day is like one of my biggest supporters. And, you know, my mom has always been more like my best friend than anything else. So, yeah, I, I felt guilty. And, and I knew that um, I wanted to give something back to my mom. I wanted to show her that, that I could be somebody for her to be proud of, you know?
0: And was there a turning point where all of a sudden you're just like, oh, um, maybe I don't have to live my life like that? Was, was there was there a moment or or was it just a gradual process of getting older and going, okay, Maybe uh, I need to figure out a different way to do things.
1: Yeah, you know, I like to attribute you I mean, some of the changes in my life to some of my friends. And um, it was the older cats that really kind of took a liking to me and seeing that I was really strong-willed and, and hard-headed, but seeing that there was something in me. So, like I said, I've met some of my best friends uh, inside. And, and even to this day, right now, I, I'm sitting with a friend of mine that, I was in there with you know I did at least uh, about 14 years with him and I he did 33 years total and so these older guys that I could look to and kind of see the changes that they went through and learn from some of their mistakes and having them really latch onto me and try to uh, help me like that I think that was one of the biggest things is like seeing some of the older guys that already been through it all that have uh, ran their head into the wall 10 times and they're just trying to be like hey youngster you know what it don't have to be that way you know what just kind of Take a second, sit back, relax, and, you know, just give things a moment, let let things kind of unfold. And, yeah, I, I attribute a lot of the um, the changes in my life to the older guys that were, like, just either mentors or older brothers and people that I could look up to, like uncles, even on the inside, people that I just met, you know, and in there and kind of formed these relationships
0: with. So how did you end up uh, getting released?
1: Um well, I mean, I, I I had a determinate sentence, so I actually had a release date. It was just so far off into the future, um, so you know they calculate your time. Um, used to be half time, but you know with the sentencing laws and all the enhancements, and of course three strikes and everything. So um, I ended up doing eighty five percent of my time. But so I knew that I had a date overall, and of course uh, throughout my sentence, I got involved with a lot of. Uh, uh administrative uh trouble in there dealing with um breaking the rules and not following not following directions.
0: So basically uh you knew at some point that you were gonna get out uh at a certain date, although that may have been delayed a little bit by some of uh, you know, the administrative rules that you broke?
1: Yeah, so yeah, I pretty much knew I had a release date. It was just that far off in the future and when You know, you're young like that, uh, you really can't really think ahead two, three, four years. You're just living in the moment for, I mean, that kind of immediate gratification. And I didn't really think about things a lot until later on in my time.
0: And um, what, uh, basically, when you're released, what happens? Um, You know, uh, what did you decide to do? Uh, How did you feel when you were released?
1: Yeah, that was very um it was scary to be honest with you. So as I knew that I was getting closer and I things were really becoming a reality that the possibility to go home um was there. About six months before I uh got out, I started making some type of plans and preparations. Uh, as far as like the institutional setting goes, the assistance they give, they they have like a pre release program where they help you get your ID and you can start taking the driver's test and getting ready. So, yeah, so they have a pre release program where they give you minimal assistance and then they start getting you ready to deal with some things on the outside, how to access resources. Um, yeah, and then when the day finally came, so they give you $200 gate money and basically take you to the Greyhound and you're on your way. So, which is kind of strange. And, and the, the, the whole thing is, if they give you $200 gate money and you're somewhere down South, but you live up North, it's going to cost you about 45, 55, up to a hundred dollars bus ticket to get home. And of course, just getting out, you want to get yourself something to eat and, you know, kind of enjoy the moment. So before you even get home, you might spend, you know, only 125, $130. So you get back to uh, your town with maybe 70, $50 in your pocket to try to rebuild and put your life back together. Um, yeah uh fortunately, you know, I mean, like I said, my mom she had been there, and I had a place to come to yeah it it was really difficult it's just scary after so much time coming home with actually you know I me mean, really zero in your pocket and having to find a job when I went in. I was nineteen years old, I had had one job up until that point, and uh yeah, it was just rebuilding my life from scratch
0: so what was the first job that you did? Uh, once she got out,
1: oh man, I worked for a, a, a roofing company, um, where I was delivering, putting roofing shingles on a boom lift and sending them up to a roof. And originally, I was just supposed to be a driver, but it just quickly transitioned to a loader. And then I was actually on the roof, laying the shingles down up on there. And yeah, it was scary work, but I mean, it was all I could get at the time. But fortunately, soon thereafter, I got a job with a, um, a custom cabinet shop, and uh, having some experience with like tools, maintenance. While, while I was incarcerated, I did a um, a tool and die uh, vocational, and then I, I kind of graduated from there to a uh, prison industry authority, where I was working as an apprentice. So I was able to work on machines and um, deal with some like uh, measuring equipment and micrometers, uh, calipers, and different types of gauges, so I have, I'm pretty pretty good with my hands, so when I started working for this custom cabinet shop, they put me into the maintenance department, so I was just doing a lot of uh, facility maintenance, uh, preventive maintenance on uh, the equipment, the machines, and yeah, it was a, it was a pretty good job, it just didn't pay a lot, so I was there for, uh, I don't know,
0: maybe a couple years. So how long ago were you released? Uh, It was March 16th. 2016. So just about three and a half years ago now.
1: Yeah, I got off parole in March.
0: So, so do you have like nightmares about being back in prison? Are you having flashbacks or, or is that just past you at this (laughs) point?
1: No, it's definitely not past me. So, uh, I have a friend, um, on, on social media who recently posted some pictures Um, that they had taken on the inside and it quite literally made my stomach turn. And I could, I very, very quickly took myself back during that moment. And I felt like I was literally going to be sick. It just, and I didn't like, if I were at that moment, I didn't, that wouldn't have crossed my mind. I wouldn't have felt that way. But looking back on it now, yeah, it it was a horrible experience. Uh, Doing time, being incarcerated, it's not something that I would wish upon my worst enemy if I had one.
0: What was kind of the worst thing about uh, being incarcerated? Oh yeah, it's just
1: the hurt that you mean know, one does to their family as you know because when you're doing time, it's not just you; it's your family, your friends, and everybody that you know what I mean that you leave behind. So just looking at you know what I mean, like I said, I, I mentioned earlier, um, my, my little baby sister, um, she grew up you know she went to college and she graduated and she she was moving on with her life and uh one of her older brothers was non-existent and uh, that kind of just moving forward in the conversation with that is when i did get home my little sister didn't even want to get to know me really she didn't want to have nothing to do with me because she thought that i was just going to be leaving again soon so quite literally for like the first year that i was home my little sister wouldn't even talk to me um i can't even really uh convey how that hurt me and it drove me to want to do better to want to stay out and be there for my little sister and, and today her and i have a really good relationship you know it's just you mean know, still in kind of like the building even though it's been almost three years now you know we're, we're, we're having to make up for the 18 years that i was gone
0: so now tell me about uh three sisters garden at what point did you decide to do something like this
1: yeah, well, I'm actually sitting at the garden right now, and it was just a really tough time, so the, the job that I was working at the at the time, it wasn't paying me a lot of money. It was really depressing, not a lot of opportunity there, and I needed something else to do for myself, something to kind of keep my, keep my mind off of things. So uh, I talked to a friend of mine, and uh, he had mentioned that there was an unused lot next to his house that... Um, that no one's doing nothing with that, that I could use it if I wanted to. So uh, right away, I have minimal experience at that time in in growing food, just kind of what my dad had showed me in the backyard uh, with the little gardens that we had growing chilies and cucumbers and some strawberries and and different things growing up. But uh, I just looked at this little piece of land and I was like, well, what can I do with it? Uh, Of course, not having a lot of money, I, the first thing I did was I just started to clean it up real good. I think that's the thing that, like, I learned being being incarcerated is just like you learn to really uh, respect what you have, no matter how little it is. So, um, with that in mind, I just cleaned up the lot real good. There was a lot of garbage and just old growth, and I, I'm still finding things to this day in here from from the old uh, the the house that used to be here years ago. So it just cleaned up the lot real good and just kind of just sat back and it it was a lot of work. It took a lot out of me, but it gave me something to do every day when I came home. And, uh, I just started thinking about, well, why don't I grow some food? You know, um, it it would be good to have something to give back to the community. And it kind of like just that from that one idea, as soon as that seed kind of planted in my mind, things haven't stopped since then. And, um, yeah, I was able to start with seven beds here and now we're up to 20 beds, just utilizing the space to the, the best possible, getting every kind of square inch out of it. Like I said, since that first thought, now we're producing on this little tiny, uh, farm here, uh, easily, you know, hundreds of pounds of vegetables that we're able to give back to the community.
0: And who's doing most of that work? <laughs>
1: Uh, well, I mean, as it stands, you know, I mean, to this day, it's still a self-funded uh project. So I do a lot of the work. My wife comes out and helps me. We have some, uh, some key volunteers and, um, kind of, as I mentioned earlier, uh, I made some really, really good friends while I was incarcerated and they just so happened to get out. So as my friends get out, I like to come and get them involved in the program and, you know, I mean, just like when I first started, it was therapeutic. It was uh, healing for me. Um, I have a lot of my friends that are coming out and bringing them to the garden and able to show them what I'm doing, why I'm doing it. And they know right off the bat that it's a great idea. And they come out I mean, whenever they're able to. And uh, we get some work done. There we there's always going to be planting, uh, harvesting, planning the next um, season. Right now, we're getting ready to transition into fall and winter. Um, But the funny thing is now, we're actually here today dealing with some chickens. So we have some unruly chickens in the neighborhood that are coming over here and uh, they've been digging up some of our seeds. So uh, yeah, we're gonna be trying to corral the chickens up and uh, get them caged if we can today.
0: Are they just wild chickens?
1: Uh, They are, I think they belong to one of the neighbors around the way. So they just kind of free ranging, I guess, but, um, yeah, we're going to hope to to catch these chickens and and return them to the owner. And if not, then we might build a little coop for them ourselves and start harvesting them eggs.
0: And, and where are you guys located exactly? Oh, so
1: we actually have two sites right now. Our first original site is on uh fourth and C street in Broderick. And, um, it's kind of just catty corner from a uh, South tacos. A lot of people out here know South tacos. So that's a good uh, point of reference. And, uh, our second site that we're working on is on Douglas and Cummings. So I think the actual address is at uh, 700 Cummings way. And, uh, that's where we have a larger site. We're working. Uh, we, we license that land through the center for land-based learning. And, uh, yeah, they, they've provided a good opportunity for us. It's a farming incubator program. And, uh, they give us a lot of the uh, knowledge and some technical technical assistance. And, uh, they have like a tool shed that we have access to a bunch of tools that we can use to uh, make our job easier.
0: Wow. That's really, uh, amazing. Uh, and how long have you been doing this? Uh,
1: all told right now we're on our, uh, our second year here on fourth street. So we're about, uh, what is it? I think we're on our fifth growing season actually. And then, um, we just, we're, we're finishing up our first year over on, uh, on Cummins Way Farm.
0: And who gets the food? Are you selling this on the market? Are you going to farmer's markets? How's that working?
1: Well, as it stands right now, uh, our goal is to give anywhere between 40 and 60% of our produce away. So we do a, a lot of our um, kind of marketing or, Uh, sharing information, putting word out through social media because that's just what's easiest for me right now and word of mouth. So we give stuff away to folks within the community, anybody that uh, recommends somebody that might be food insecure or might just need a little bit of extra help. um, So we put some boxes together for them. It's roughly around maybe like a 10 or 15-pound box of uh, a variety of different vegetables that we have kind of on hand within season. And then we'll go down to the boat docks. And uh, there's a lot of large unhoused population out there, and we don't like just give food away, but we'll go and we'll make food and we'll share space with them and just kind of let them feel. you know, mean, like they're part of the community. And but uh, I mean, further furthering along that, yeah. So we do. We have a, a couple of restaurants that we're working with right now that uh, really supporting this. Uh, we're working with uh, La Crosta, and they've been purchasing vegetables from us for. I don't know, maybe about six or eight months now. So we have a, a regular weekly delivery that we give to them. And then we have a, a Sac City Brew out in Sacramento and they just started purchasing from us. And yeah, it's been really helpful because of course, like I said earlier, this is a self-funded nonprofit. Everything that has been, uh, been bought right now has basically come out of my pocket or some small donations and a, a little bit of help we had through the California endowment that was, it, it was important for one of our events that we had for our summer planting and a community gathering that went really well. But, um, yeah, so the money that we're able to get, we just put right back into the organization so we can purchase seeds, compost. And, um, yeah, we're hoping that, you I mean, as, as we move forward, we are able to get some more assistance to buy some of the equipment we need to, to really make our job easier with these urban farms.
0: So I kind of resemble this question, but, uh, I have to ask, so are you able to actually live on this or are you making money elsewhere?
1: Yeah. Um, at this point we're not, uh, there's no way that I can make a living doing this. Um, just because we're trying to really just establish a market. And then of course, my goal and my vision is to give anywhere between 40 and 60% of it away. So, I do have a full-time job. I work as a a maintenance technician right here in West Sacramento. So I work actually uh, very, very awful hours. (laughs) I I work from uh, 7 o'clock till 4 in the morning, which usually puts me out here around maybe 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock to kind of start getting stuff done and taking care of things.
0: Yeah, don't worry. I know that life.
1: Yeah, it's it's demanding, but I mean, because it's so important to me in just being able to see the um, the satisfaction and the appreciation on some of the folks' faces as we give them food. Uh, a lot of people are really uh, surprised that you know we're giving these, these vegetables away. Of course, um, we're growing all organic. you I mean, using regenerative, uh, sustainable methods. You know, taking care of Mother Earth. And uh, quite honestly, the produce that we're putting out, David, is really good. Uh, people uh, take a bite of our carrot, and it, it just really changes them. I think that they forget how good food actually tastes when it's grown using organic methods, um, it, it's been amazing. It, it, just for that, that alone, I mean, it, it makes everything that I'm doing worthwhile.
0: Have you considered maybe uh, doing like individual uh, person baskets of uh, food uh, that maybe you can uh, distribute on some kind of subscription plan or something like that?
1: Yeah, well, we, we've been looking at a lot of different things. Like, so we have the, um, the restaurants that we're servicing. And then, yeah, we're, we're looking at creating a, a membership or a subscription type where folks can sign on ahead of time so that, um, we know what we're going to be able to sell because like a, a farm stand or a farmer's market just really doesn't work for us because of the unpredictable nature of it and having to pay just to get into these farmer's markets. Of course, that's just more money that we don't have right now. But, yeah, we're, we would like to have some folks that would like to sign on with us and maybe like on a maybe biweekly basis uh, provide them a box of our organic vegetables to uh, help pay for the things that we need for the program. And I think one of the more, more important things right now is just trying to find a way that we can offer um, some stipends to the youth that work with us. Uh, we definitely want to make sure that they know that their time is valuable to us and that we take them seriously. So that's kind of like one of my main goals right now is to figure out a way to provide stipends to these youth,
0: and, and that's what I was going to ask you because you list as your uh, mission that uh, you want to teach at-risk youth. Are you actually working with youth at this point? What's the plan there?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's been it's been awesome as far as that goes. And so one of the things that uh, that just kind of happened fluidly is a uh, There's some some youngsters within the community. Of course, this is broader, so you got a lot of youth around here. Around here, just kind of um, you know what I mean needing opportunities, and uh, a couple of friends of mine, they've they've given some references to some of these youngsters and pointed them my way, and just, like, throughout this process, you know, I was told, hey, yeah, I don't think you'll be able to get through to this kid. I I don't think that he'll stick around, and we've we've fortunately we've had a a couple of them just really kind of hang out and um, take to what we're doing, and uh, we don't really go out and just, like, kind of be selling our programs. It's just a safe space. Once they get to know us and what we're doing, they just keep
0: on coming back. So what's your ultimate vision with this?
1: I want to grow enough food to be able to provide to a lot of the folks that are food insecure in our area to really give them the wholesome, nutritious food that they need. I mean, just like air, just like water, we believe that good, wholesome food should be available to everybody. And, uh, We know that there's a lot of food insecure people out here, people who need help. So I would like to kind of maybe like far off, hopefully not too far off, have like a a food co-op or something where um, we're able to provide wholesome vegetables to our community at low and sometimes at no cost and have folks that are um, coming and and getting their vegetables from us to allow us to do the work that we want to do.
0: How has... Your work through Three Sisters Garden helped you overcome kind of your past.
1: It, it, it's given me something to do on a regular basis, and I stay busy because of it. So, But, you know, it, it's been therapeutic to me kind of just to be putting my hands in the dirt and being able to exert myself like that. But then at the end of the day, seeing all these vegetables that are coming out and uh, being able to kind of just look stand back and look at everything that we're harvesting and knowing that i'm in a position to give all this feedback to the community if i want to um, and, and as we hold events and folks just come out like on a regular basis just kind of wandering in you know I mean out of nowhere and being able to give them food i think that's something that i learned from my mom you know just when you see there's a need you know you don't have to be asked you just kind of you just do and uh it's been good for me in that way. And of course it's given me a, a stage just like now to be able to talk about my past and, um, look at it as a, a kind of, um, uh, it was a horrible experience, but to be able to use it for good now, I think that's uh, one of the most important things is turning a negative into a positive.
0: So how can people get involved if they want to help you with your efforts?
1: Yeah. I mean, of course we're a nonprofit organization, so, um, uh, folks can donate to us. Um, or they can uh, come out and volunteer with us and, and maybe give us even a, it, it doesn't even have to do with, um, coming out and working. If folks have different ideas or even provide some equipment to us, whether it be seeds, uh, supplies like compost, shovels and rakes. Um, yeah, we're kind of like, we're, 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 working with a bare minimum right now, but I mean, I think that's like one of the greater parts of our stories is kind of really making something out of nothing, but, um, definitely donating, uh, so coming up here on September 6th, we're going to be having a fundraiser at the VFW in West Sac. So, um, if folks want to come out and participate in, and, and donate to us there, that would be awesome.
0: So how would they go about doing that? Is there a website that they can go to?
1: Yeah, definitely. So we have a, a webpage, it's called a uh, three sisters So that's a number three and then sisters Um, yeah, they can go on there or just reach out to me directly, even.
0: And what's the best way to reach you?
1: Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, so my phone number is 916 291 8595, or they can just email me at, at info at 3 That's INFO at number 3sistersgardens.com.
0: Great. Uh, thanks so much for being on the show, Alfred.
1: I uh, thank you, David. I really appreciate you giving me the opportunity to speak on uh, our program, and of course, talking a little bit about my history. Um, it's just been a been great talk. Man, I really appreciate it.
0: Great, thank you. So that was Alfred Melbourne and his project, Three Sisters Garden. Alfred has gone from spending 17 years in prison, uh, starting at the age of 19, to uh, running a nonprofit and trying to help other youth. Uh, Avoid kind of the same problem that he got himself into. This has been the Vanguard Court Watch podcast. I'm David Greenwald. You can log on to davisvanguard.org and click on the podcast button on the right to uh, see our other shows. And we got a whole bunch coming up in the coming weeks. Thanks.